This week on Bloodstream, we debut a brand new segment featuring a familiar face, but a new segment host. What's it about? What can you expect to hear? And who's this host? Well, for that, you'll have to stick around until at least the first segment. But also stick around until later in the show when I speak with silent podcast co-host and patient advocate Ijama Azubuko about the near-death bleeding disorders experience that led to her starting a foundation. And Patrick and I are joined by Flow podcast co-host Jessica Lauren Richmond to discuss what can happen when a patient's health isn't considered holistically by their healthcare provider. On Flow, every episode, we remind listeners that you're not crazy there's an absence of research in women's health and menstruation. And um, on Flow, we're not here to solve it, but we are here to normalize the conversation around it. Hi, all. I'm your host, Patrick James Lynch, reminding you to subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast on Apple Pods, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I am your other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Thank you all for listening. Welcome to Bloodstream. And hello, Amy. How are you? I'm well. We're recording this in the morning. The last couple of weeks, it's been in the afternoon. So I have coffee today. <laughs> and I, I, I think it's going to like enhance uh, the listening probably experience. probably a lot more enthusiasm. Yes, I do. I think it's going to <laughs> heighten the experience. I think you are correct. And we've got a lot today. We've got a lot of voices, a lot of content. So let me mm -hmm. move right into our uh, few pieces of housekeeping. To go through them quickly, our Breaking Through Vocal Ensemble spoke about that last weekend as well. We have two groups, adults and young people. The next session, if you're listening in real time, is Saturday the 24th. A reminder that it's a drop-in program, so you can come one Saturday and not be there on another one. It's also the place where you're going to get information about our upcoming talent show as soon as it becomes available. Uh, the Teen Impact Awards and the Adam Lynch Memorial Scholarship. The portal for that is closing in just a couple of weeks. We have a lot of scholarship applicants and a number of honorees, but it's not closed yet. So if there's a young person who you either want to honor with a Teen Impact Award or if there's a scholarship applicant in your household, do check out the Teen Impact Awards for more. Season two of the Pain Podcast. You've heard us speak about that plenty, but it's also now available on the Bloodstream Media Facebook page. So if you know a chronic pain sufferer who's not quite yet what we'd call a podcast listener, you can direct them to the video playlist on Bloodstream Media's Facebook page where they can hear every story and insight from the season. And lastly, casting opportunities. Uh, we say this often at the end of the show, but I wanted to bump it up today. We have a lot of uh, opportunities for video series, podcast series, potentially some films, some writing opportunities. So if you're a member of this community with something to say and you want to find the right place to say it, you can email us mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com or reach out to Amy or I on social media and share with us your bleeding disorder story. Also, remember, when in doubt, email your questions, comments, and suggestions to us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. You can also click the Bloodstream Media link tree link in the program notes for more of all of these opportunities, obviously, and so much more. Link tree link. It's very fancy. We're very, very fancy now. We have a link with many other links. That's how that works. Uh, but that's enough nonsense. On to the program. We are debuting a brand new segment today on Bloodstream. Let's talk. The segment is inspired by the Believe Limited produced documentary by the same name, is a partnership between Bloodstream Media and Sanofi Genzyme, and aims to create an environment where we can have open, honest conversations about mental health in the bleeding disorders community. For people living with or caring for someone with a bleeding disorder, the impact on mental health is largely invisible and not often discussed. Let's Talk shares tips on how to care for your own or someone you love's mental health and strives to eliminate the stigma associated with this 
this discussion within the bleeding disorders community. If you or someone you know has experienced feelings that have impacted your mental health, talk to your healthcare provider and find educational resources at letstalkmh.com. Again, that's letstalkmh.com. So each time here on the Let's Talk segment, Josh Bragg, who you recently heard talking about mental health on here for Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month, will walk you through moments from the Believe Limited documentary, Let's Talk. Josh was the director of photography on Let's Talk, so he's very familiar with the material. But there's another reason that we thought Josh would be the ideal host for this new segment. So Josh started a YouTube show called Haunting Season, intended as a place to tell original scary stories in order to work through personal fears. It's wonderful. You have to check it out. It's wonderful. But it quickly turned into a community of like-minded people, 24,000 people to be exact, which is crazy, where Josh is now able to open up conversations about our deepest, darkest fears under the veil of the horror genre. Most recently, Josh has taken the conversation to TikTok, where his audience has grown to five. Fit, wait, whoa, not even five, 50,000 followers over the course <laughs> of the past number? two months. Too big a number. 50,000, as my mother would say, with videos reaching over half a million people. Josh is a mental health advocate and a firm believer that the best way of overcoming our mental and physical barriers is to talk to one another and to face them together. You'll also hear from a couple other segment contributors, including a mental health expert. But first, allow me to turn it over to Josh to welcome you into the very first segment of Let's Talk. Enjoy. Winter is my favorite season, and we don't get much of it here in California. So when the opportunity came to fly to Coho's New York to interview Chris Husky for our mental health documentary, I was more than excited. It was early March 2020, and all I really knew going into this was that Chris had a harrowing story to tell and was bringing us somewhere special to tell it. That someplace special was Chimney Mountain Trail, a somewhat steep but short hike to an incredible overview of the valley. It had snowed the night before, and after about 90 minutes of traversing the icy slope with gear in tow, we reached the summit to hear his story. It was early morning. I woke up before sunrise, and something drew me out to this mountain, into this chimney right here. And I I climbed up it, took my spot in the edge right by the cliff face. In that moment, I I decided that yes, this is that moment. I want to die. Chris told us this story in vivid detail, and it became one of the three centerpieces of our documentary, Let's Talk Mental Health. I've hiked back up this trail maybe a dozen times since. For me, it's a way of, of realizing how precious life really is how easily it could just be taken away from you. Let's talk. Over the next few months, I'm going to be working through the themes in our documentary pertaining to mental health. I'll give you my thoughts. I'll bring in a couple of guests and professionals. And my goal with all of this is to help create a safe space for talking about hard topics like the one Chris just talked about. I guess I should introduce myself. I'm Josh, and like a lot of people, I struggle with my mental health sometimes. The way that I work through it is by writing scary stories. Don't worry, this segment isn't going to be scary. In fact, my hope is that it's quite the opposite. And I promise you, if we met in person, you'd never know that ghosts are my thing. I'd call it my little secret, but actually I have a whole YouTube show and now a TikTok presence based entirely on that interest. 
the genre of horror speaks to me because I spend so much of my life being afraid. I'm afraid of my finances. I'm scared of people not liking me. I'm scared of losing people, of accidentally dying, and of olives. Okay, that last one is more of a deep hatred rather than a fear, but I think you see where I'm going here. I spend a lot of time worrying about things I either can't control or are so far in the future that they aren't even an issue yet. And in my writing, I can turn those into much bigger deals than they are. I can raise the stakes and play out a worst case scenario. I can turn a point of anxiety into a creature that I ultimately defeat or explore what happens when it eats me whole. I can play within the world of fiction and suss some stuff out. It's not solving my issues. It's not fixing anything. In fact, sometimes it can be triggering in a negative way, but it's processing my feelings that makes it valuable. It only works if I admit what those issues are and agree with myself to face them head on. It's easier to bottle things up. Well, at first, but as my leftovers in the back of the fridge will show, eventually things start to swell and leak and smell and sometimes explode. And look, stuff can get heavy, right? All of this is fine in theory, but the truth is life is hard. Sometimes you're not dealt the same cards as everybody else. Sometimes everyone around you is getting promotions or winning raffles and you're stuck at a dead end job that sucks the life out of you. And sometimes you find out a dear old friend is dying, or you get a diagnosis that is troubling, or even expected to be terminal. Was diagnosed with the HIV diagnosis I was 12. And when that came out, I was like, okay, fine, yeah, so I'll be dead in three years. That's basically what I was told. This is Bobby Wiseman, speaking in the Let's Talk documentary. Then graduated high school, then was on to college, it was like, oh gee, I'm not dead. And then during uh, our summer camp program in Northern California, with a huge percentage of us being co and triple infected, HCV, HIV, and, and a bleeding sort of hemophilia, it was this thing of, okay, I know this is eating at me because, you know, come to camp one year, there are 73 people as an example. Then the next year is down to 50 because throughout the whole year, you're getting phone calls of the guys just dying or you know you're in the you're at school or at work and you get a call from other community advocates saying such and such is in the hospital and he's not going to get discharged you need to go see him now and so at that time it was just band-aiding the situation and not really dealing with it i mean it got to a point of not wanting the phone call or not wanting to pick up the phone cuz you didn't know what was going to be said I don't want to do not one more funeral, one more memorial. I just don't care. I don't want to hear it. And it began this process for me of shoving the stuff down. I just don't care. I don't want to hear it. Those words are far too familiar to me. I just want to give up. I just want it all to stop. Those are normal feelings to have when life gets difficult. But they're also very scary feelings. Feelings that often lead to self-harm. And not just what Chris Husky was talking about earlier. Suicide isn't the only threat here. Self-harm can take all sorts of shapes. For me, it comes in the form of overeating, drinking, sleep deprivation. I punish myself with excess. And while it feels like a reward of some sort in the moment to get a burger and fries and chicken wings and maybe a corn dog, it ends up hurting not only my physical health, but it worsens my mental health as well. Some reward, huh? Look, uh, I'm not any more a doctor than Patrick or Amy here. I'm a guy who likes to talk things out, 
and dig deeper and tell stories. But there comes a point always where I hit rock and I put down my shovel and I look up and I see a tiny hole where the sky used to be. It's times like these that I need to bring in an expert to help me navigate out of these holes I like to dig myself into. Luckily, my friend Avra has a really cool mom who's a licensed marriage and family therapist. Her name is Alana Senk, and she has some really interesting things to say about what happens when we stuff our emotions down. Hey, everyone. I'm Avra. You may have seen me on Stop the Bleeding, heard me on the Bloodstream podcast, or somehow we have crossed paths at some other bleeding disorders related event, conference, etc., etc. I am sitting here with my mom, licensed marriage and family therapist, Alana Sank. I have been with her for one year, living in the same house under one roof for the first time ever since high school um, for the entire duration of the quarantine. Do you have anything to say about that? I survived. (laughs) She survived, as did I. I'm living to tell the tale and still here talking about it. Um, But let's get to the good stuff, the reason why she is on the podcast today. In your experience with patients, when someone stuffs their emotions down, how does it affect their relationships? Well, if we're not honest about what we're feeling, it's really hard to be in an honest and open relationship. Um, I think the more we, as I like, when you say the word stuff, the more we put things in, the more they kind of eat at us. And it prevents us from being our true self. Oh, hey, there's this guy. Thank you, Avra and Alana. And thank you, Amy and Patrick, for having me on to talk and explore these topics. Join me over the next few months as I work my way through our film and talk about the stuff that really pops. The important stuff. The tough stuff. And my promise to you is it'll never get too scary, and we'll always have an expert there to help us back out if we dig a little too deep. If you want to access some incredible mental health resources, you want to explore the film on your own, or you just want to dig deeper yourself, please go check out letstalkmh.com and click resources. And I'll see you on the next couple episodes. Thank you, Josh, Avra, and of course, Avra's mom. Again, visit letstalkmh.com to explore some mental health resources for the bleeding disorder community. Thanks as well to segment supporter Sanofi Genzyme. Hey, Amy, you know what I'm thinking? You know what? I don't. I don't know if I want to know. I don't know. Oh, supportive response. Well, I'm thinking (laughs) that it's time for us to let's talk about some other bleeding disorder stuff. Oof, that was rough, but particularly the health of our female bleeders. Did you see what I tried to do there there. anyway? Yeah, I saw what you did and I'm proud of of you (laughs) and I loved every minute of it. Bravo. Right, I said, I know sarcasm when I hear it, but we're gonna soldier forward here. Um, And I, I said the health of our female bleeders, but really we're talking about being heard and compelling a doctor or a clinician's curiosity into our comprehensive health and and selves. And there's more on that in a moment. Uh, But first, dear listener, I want you to know that the Bloodstream Podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yes, that's right, Takeda. Takeda's got this website, you may have heard of it, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. I'm into that. And are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey wherever on that journey they may be. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time, grab a pen. 
That's bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, as always, I'd just like to say thanks to Kata. So let's get to our segment about female bleeders, but stick around because later in the show, Patrick speaks with Ruby Ball Foundation founder and person living with sickle cell disease, Ijama Azubuko, about how a lack of curiosity and some misplaced certainty on the part of one doctor nearly cost her her life. It's a wild story, but it's also the kind of story and circumstance that unfortunately isn't all too uncommon. In fact, it's a topic of discussion on the latest episode of Flow, a podcast full of straight talk about extreme periods and joining us now to talk more about it is beloved jessica lauren richmond flow co-host and bloodstream contributor welcome back to the pod jessica and jay rich one of my favorite people welcome back hi thank you it is so nice to be back on bloodstream I know, right? I actually spearheaded this. I wanted to talk about uh, episode four of Flow with Dr. P and with Nikem, who is our patient advocate, because mm -hmm. I was on all of those interviews, all of those calls. And as we were just prepping for this call, I said, we now officially have an advocate crush on Nikem. She's fantastic. Tell us a little bit about what that interview was like. Tell us a little about her story and what listeners can expect if they listen to episode four of Flow. You know, I just wanted to provide some context. People with fibroids, people with endometriosis, they're battling, they're living and fighting several battles on a daily basis. You know, the first battle, of course, is the condition itself. And the second battle is living in a world that does not understand what you're going through on a daily basis. Mm. You know, in addition mm -hmm. to the mental and physical toll that it takes on you, you have to battle the world. Unless you're in our shoes, you really don't understand the toll that having an extreme condition takes. Oh, I just, not only did I relate to that quote, but I so appreciated that quote. It was so eloquent in terms of the internal battle that folks with extreme conditions feel. I know we feel it in the bleeding disorders community. Um, it's, you know, it, it feels like a silent battle. And so I just, I just thought she was so eloquent. Yes, we can't wait to have and come back, quite honestly. She was an incredible um, orator, and she really warmed our hearts. Christy and I have huge crushes. Um, we also have a crush on Dr. Carrie Ann Perkins, who joined us for episode four. Dr. at callmedoctor.p online. I have learned so much from her, not just from episode four, but from her TikTok videos. Oh, my goodness. That's at callmedoctor.p. Dr. P. Find her. She's doing incredible education work online, which we love to see. And Dr. P. Addressed how the physician-patient relationship should work when dealing with a patient that might be going through not just one condition, but syndromes that include a variety of symptoms and experiences that the patient needs physician help with. It's very important that as providers that we understand that multiple things can be going on. It's very easy for us to just be in one zone. Like, okay, we found it. There's a fibroid. But then maybe there's a fibroid in adenomyosis. And maybe there's a fibroid and there's also endometriosis. It is difficult if the patients are doing their own research. In fact, it helps to say, you know what, my symptoms might be along the lines of this. And even though we have this problem, can we investigate that as well? Is there a reason for me to? Am I thinking crazy by thinking that this might be me as well? 
Jess, what were your thoughts coming out of the Dr. P interview? Because I know there were so many. I got I got a full-blown text thread of you guys. You were so excited. Yes. yes. She, Dr. P is an incredible teacher, an incredible oh. doctor, an incredible teacher. She taught us so much on that episode. And, and I love that she asked if patients should be wondering if they're crazy or not when they're hearing symptoms that might be like theirs, might relate to other parts of their condition. On Flow, every episode, we remind listeners that you're not crazy. There's an absence of research in women's health and menstruation. And um, on Flow, we're not here to solve it, but we are here to normalize the conversation around it. And Dr. P helped us converse in an educated way. Check her out on episode four or again at callmedoctor.p. Yes, yes, yes. And female bleeders, I just want to reiterate, you are not crazy. You are not crazy. And it's refreshing to hear from a physician to kind of get into the mindset of what physicians go through, how they can be um, short-sighted as they're seeing so many patients um, throughout the day. And it's helpful for um, patients to continue to advocate for themselves. One of the things that Flow co-host Christy Van Horn always says, write things down. So write things down prior to your physician's appointment, your hematologist's appointment about questions that you have. So you have that piece of paper in front of you. Get those answers and you are not crazy. You know, I remember from a young age, my hematologist saying to me when I would talk about pain in my foot or my ankles and be like, yeah, you know, maybe some bleeding. She was always quick to, to say, don't attribute everything to hemophilia because she noticed that anytime I was reporting pain or discomfort in my body, I was linking it to hemophilia. And she would remind me, you're also eligible for any number of other things that human beings walking earth uh, can get. So don't be so quick to, to box it. So that was, that was always helpful for me to remember. And then as I've gotten older, another challenge to that that I have found, and, and I'm imagining some listeners can relate to, is frankly just not wanting another diagnosis. I don't mm. want to know that there's something else. Like I've got enough already. I don't want something else. But the truth is the something else is either there or it isn't. And my getting a diagnosis for it or being aware of it, accepting it, that's like me stuff. The truth is what the truth is. So that's what I try to remind myself when I get fussy about not wanting another patient label that, look, it is what it is. And if I ignore it or choose to handle it poorly, it's going to hurt me a lot more so than if I take a different course of action. So I think in, as Ijama in a moment here will also take us through, I think there are some specific challenge. I don't think I know there are specific challenges that women face, but also for the, the guys who are listening as well, we have to be as in tune with our bodies as we can be. We have to be thinking about what else might be going on and not just assume you know, because as guys too, I think sometimes we can be kind of lazy about our, our, our medical situation and our health. And we just want the simplest, easiest, quickest explanation. We want to fix it and move on. And that mindset is just not always very helpful. So for my, for my guys out there too, don't think that everything that's going on with you health-wise is connected to whatever your primary thing is or whatever the most, you know, uh, presenting thing is. There might be something else there. And as always, early intervention is everything. This made me think that, you know, it's it's maybe harder for guys because for, for women or people who have menstruation, menstruation is an alert button to what's going on in your body. It's telling you every month what's going on and men don't have that. So sorry. No, that's a good, yeah, there's not like a monthly, weekly, quarterly sort of right. check-in thing where you're like, what's going on today? And man, like... 
if someone was like, who needs that more, men or women? I'd be like, men, we need that way more. We could use like a daily one, but we don't have any. So I guess we'll just have to figure that out. Um, Jessica, what else is coming up on Flow that listeners can be excited to hear? Any guests or topics or anything in particular that you are looking forward to on Flow? My goodness, we are going to have an episode entirely dedicated to endometriosis. That's going to be coming up. Um, we also, can I tease it? I'm going to tease yes, it. That in we're hoping it. in the summer to have... Right? A live episode, if you will, a patient experience episode where we bring in a variety of patients and have a conversation, but live for listeners, for whoever wants to join in and ask questions. That'll happen this summer. Wow. Okay. So if you are interested in that, if you want to throw some questions in there, if you're like, maybe my voice could be a part of that, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com or find Jessica, Amy, myself, or the Bloodstream Media social media properties and reach out. Thank you, Jessica, for coming on. Amy, anything you want to add before we close out the segment? Sure. Yes, of course. Make sure to check out episode four of Flow, which is available for streaming wherever you get those podcasts. You can always find Flow on bloodstreammedia.com. And uh, it's great stuff. Great stuff. Thank you, Jay Rich, for being with us today. My pleasure. Uh, listeners, you can also follow the link tree link in the program notes to Flow. Uh, the show page on bloodstreammedia.com will also introduce you to all the places that you can download or stream Flow from. Amy and I will take a quick break, and I'll be back on the other side with Ijama. Ijama Azubako is the founder, president, and chief operating officer of the Ruby Ball Foundation, an organization whose mission it is to bring hope and to create a voice in the silence for individuals living with sickle cell. She's also one of the voices you'll hear on Silent, a podcast produced by the Ruby Foundation, and it's a platform to talk about real-life situations through the lens of sickle cell. And Ijama joins me now. Hello, Ijama, and thank you for joining me here on the Bloodstream Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm glad that winter's over <laughs> and it's springtime, so that puts a smile on my face. So our audience, they've heard us talk about sickle cell before. Uh, but we talk more about hemophilia and von Willebrand disease, other inherited blood disorders. So do you mind just giving us a top line of what is sickle cell? So as you said, sickle cell is an inherited blood disorder. You get it from both of your parents. They both must have the trait of sickle cell in order for the, them to pass it on to their child. The way that sickle cell works is that some of your blood cells are rigid and sticky and a sickle shaped or like a moon crescent shape. And those sickle shapes end up blocking the flow of oxygen and blood through your body. And that can cause severe pain in those areas of blockage. It can cause you to have severe organ failure for some people because they're not getting blood and oxygen to certain parts of the body mm -hmm. beyond just the pain crises that people um, experience. Now, I read that you started the Ruby Ball Foundation as we kind of already said, to challenge sickle cell stigma by giving a voice to those who have been silenced. And I want to talk a bit more about that. But first, I was struck that you were inspired to start the foundation after your friend, Ebony Lanier, who also had sickle cell disease, passed away in October of 2017. So first off, I am sorry for your friend's death. How did Ebony pass away? And how do people with sickle cell disease, when it does become fatal, why is that? Is organ failure generally the reason or are there other reasons as well? 
So thank you. Thank you for your concern. I really appreciate you. Ebony actually passed away from pulmonary embolism, which is something that actually affects a lot of people who have sickle cell. Earlier that same year, I actually suffered from pulmonary embolism myself. And so it was a really big thing when it happened because around the same time that she passed away, I was moving to Central Africa for work. I was going to be on this long um, plane ride. But when I got to Gabon, that's when I had found out. And so it was a big thing because right before I was going um, out there, I had met with my hematologist and talked with them about some of the types of things that I can do with the fact that I had this long flight that I was going to be taking to get to Gabon. And so he had prescribed me some blood thinners and um, different things to try to like protect me. So I know like if I didn't take that before and didn't go in and I ended up finding out that that's how she passed. Knowing what happened to me back in January, I Hmm. would have (laughs) been out of it. But yeah, with sickle cell, a lot of people end up suffering from various things like organ failure or different other complications that come out of sickle cell disease that come, come out from the blockage that happens with the blood. Got it. Okay. Thank you for that. So you mentioned your work in Gabon. Are you there now, have you finished that work? I actually ended up having to come back prematurely. I was out there for about 15 months and I actually had a sickle cell crisis that brought me back, The, which is a whole long story. But basically what happened was I was having chest pain while I was out there and I went to the doctor's office. The doctor actually was like telling me that I had heartburn. And so I was like, yeah, no. So he didn't do an x-ray. He didn't do anything just to check on anything deeper. He just gave me some heartburn medicine and sent me home. The Were next you suspicious day, right away? Yeah. <laughs> so, and then keep in mind, like, I don't really speak French. And so it's a French speaking country. So it was like mm. a conversation between like me, the nurse from my company and the doctor. So took the heartburn medicine, went home. The next day I woke up and my hips were hurting and my legs, but I was just like, okay, I'm a push through, I'll be fine. And so I ended up going into the office. My manager came in and he was like, Ijama, are you okay? I was like, I'm fine. And he was like, no, I see it in your face. He's like, something's wrong. And so he was mm-hmm. like, you need to go home. He's like, I can tell you're in pain, which I was. And I'm thankful that he told me to go home because by the time I got home, I couldn't walk. <laughs> wow. Did he know you had sickle cell? Um, no, my boss did not know that I had sickle cell. Yeah. Interesting. Good for him for just being observant. Yeah, he was being observant. I had had pain medication that I had brought back with me from the U.S., so I took some of that, but I didn't have any real relief. And so I was really trying to avoid going to the hospital, but it got to a point where it's like I had to because I needed to get some prescription pain medicines and get on some type of fluids, IVs, which are the normal things that are are provided to individuals living with sickle cell so that they can try to like get through the pain. I ended up calling the nurse for my company and they sent a driver over to come and get me. When I got to the hospital, they started doing what they could, but then they also didn't have the pain medication that I usually take in the U.S. So the pain medication that they had provided for me wasn't doing anything for my pain. Mm. So I ended up transitioning from one of the hospitals in Gabon to another hospital that was a more high-tech hospital that they had, that usually the president of Gabon and different people from the embassy and stuff would go to. When I got there, they took my vitals and it just wasn't a good situation. So long story short, I ended up being in that hospital for about five days. I didn't have any sort of improvement 
while I was there. They eventually ended up going ahead and doing a chest x-ray and they saw that I had some, that I was having a respiratory infection. And the nurse from my job and the company was like, okay, yeah, she needs to go to another hospital. So they ended up sending me to a hospital in South Africa. But the thing was that they couldn't get me to the hospital in South Africa without giving me a blood transfusion because I couldn't fly because my blood count was so low. They ended up having to give me two um, different blood transfusions so that I could be in a good place to get on that plane. Ended up being life flighted to South Africa. When I got to South Africa, the doctor was like, if I didn't get there when I did, I would have died. And so that in itself was like a hmm. huge um, wake up call for me. So I ended up being in an ICU in South Africa for about seven to 10 days. Um, and then they ended up um, putting me into a regular room. So I was actually in the hospital for about two weeks while I was out there. And the doctor ended up telling me I could not go back to Gabon. I had to end up flying straight back to the US. And so I actually got back to the US in February of 2019. So yeah. there was so many different things that came out of that experience, out of that situation that pushed me to even more so say, okay, I need to really do this stuff for the Ruby Ball Foundation because people truly don't understand. Right. Wow. What a story. Now, now there are organizations and foundations that serve patients and families affected by sickle cell disease. There's the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, the Consortium, Cayenne Wellness, et cetera. And I know you know this. I'm curious to know what wasn't happening at those organizations that led you to start the Ruby Ball Foundation after Ebony passed. Yeah, so basically what came, the Ruby Ball Foundation actually came out of an event that I um, had done back in 2018. And so prior to Ebony's passing, me and Ebony were talking in September, which is Sickle Cell Awareness Month, about some of the things that we can try to do as advocates for sickle cell and also as individuals living with the disease to try to help inspire and motivate other people. And so one of the things that I've always talked about, because I also plan events, I was actually like hosting an event so that people can see a different side of sickle cell. So those people living with sickle cell, that they can be inspired and motivated by people that are just like them, that look just like them right, mm. that are doing things um, in their community, that are living their lives, that are achieving their goals. And so I just wanted to spotlight that. I wasn't even looking to start a, a foundation at the time. I actually ended up planning this event from Central Africa while I was living out there. And we were able to raise $10,000 that we donated to the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America. Everybody was like, okay, when's the next one? What else were y'all are y'all going to do to keep this going? Like, you can't stop now, right? Right. And so right. that's basically what birthed the Ruby Ball Foundation. I wanted to try to unify and connect all of these different organizations that are surrounding sickle cell. Because I feel mm. that we're all out there with the same mission, with the same purpose, right? But then... At the same time, it's so many different organizations, so many different names that I feel that we don't have as big an impact when it comes outside of our community. I wanted it to be something that connects all of the different organizations, all of the different groups with one unifying big event that everybody knows, that everybody sees, that we can all come together and connect on. Well, that is impressive. And I will say, I was in preparation for this earlier. I was looking at your your Instagram and I, I caught on that you were an event and, and wedding planner, I believe. Um, <laughs> and you have a beautiful Instagram page. Thank so you. you have these different uh, pursuits. You're entrepreneurial, that's clear. And I, I think we're roughly the same age. So you're still in the early part of, of your career. What is your vision then for the future of the Ruby Ball Foundation? Is it to continue to grow as this connection point of sorts within the sickle cell world? Or what, what is your vision 
and then two, how are you personally balancing your time as you go between projects that are taking you to Central Africa and you're planning things in Maryland? And then lastly, how does one get invited to these incredible looking events that you produce? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you. So yeah, just with the Ruby Ball Foundation, like I said, it ended up expanding from just being that one event to actually moving into doing more within the community, trying to find ways that we can motivate and inspire, trying to find ways that we can try to be that voice in the silence so that people can be more open to sharing their stories, to talking about their illness so that when other people see them, they're able to know that they can continue to grow and that they can continue to do those things that they've always dreamed of. We actually ended up this past year starting a podcast called Silent. And so what a great transition into our next topic, <laughs> the Silent Podcast. Why don't you tell us all about that? <laughs> yeah. And so that was one of the things that came out because it's like because of COVID, when we thought about trying to come up and do more events, COVID right. happened. And so we were right. like, hey, what are some of the things that we can try to do to continue to try to motivate others to try to get our voice out there. And that's where the podcast came about. We actually had an individual on the show this past March where she is a ICU doctor, um, anesthesiologist, and she has sickle cell. Mm. And so she was right at the Dr. forefront Lynn of Mendoza. everything. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very um, so Very she was actually at the forefront of everything that was going on during this COVID time as she was also trying to, you know what I mean, work through her diagnosis with sickle cell as well. Yeah, so that was very inspiring and just showing like, you can still live your life. You can still do those things that you want to do. And that's the biggest message that we want to be able to put across to individuals living with sickle cell. And what do you feel as though you've been learning so far from some of these voices who previously may have been silent or were silenced as you're finding the platform to give these voices their space, what are you learning? So I'm learning more about myself. One of the things that I actually learned was more details in terms of the different types of sickle cell disease, right? Mm -hmm. So growing mm -hmm. up, my mom, she didn't necessarily talk about things a lot. And so I really didn't understand it as I was growing up. And sure. so that's one of the things that Ebony did for me was being able to have that ally and have that person that understands you because they're also dealing with the same thing that you're dealing with. You see, like, you're not alone. It's not just you that's dealing with this and that people have similar stories to you, but right. they continue to persevere. And so those are some of the things that's um, been highlighted through this experience. So I did notice one thing, like a true entrepreneur doer type, when I asked how you're balancing all of these things, you managed to very deftly avoid answering that part of the question. <laughs> so I'm going to bring you back to that part. You have a team at the Ruby Ball Foundation. I, I was looking earlier at the website. So it's not just you, but you are yourself clearly very busy and a patient managing sickle cell disease. So how, how are you helping keeping balance? And I know balance has been also redefined in the last year for so many of us. How, how are you defining balance for yourself? The first thing is by having the board <laughs> for the Ruby ball. That's <laughs> something that actually definitely helped being able to have that support system. Um, but in terms of balance, it's just continuing to just manage your time. I don't know. It's kind of hard to, <laughs> to explain. It's just like, 
you just know what you got to do, what you got to do. So <laughs> that's the way that I usually like move forward is just taking everything one step at a time, day by day, and just looking at the different things that I may have on my schedule and just thinking about what I need to do in order to check those things off the list. So sometimes it is overwhelming <laughs> at times, but at the end of the day, it's like, I know that there's a bigger cause behind it. So like, even with my event, that's something that I'm passionate about that I'm mm -hmm. excited about. So that's something that I love to do. So whatever it is that I can do in terms of finding time, I do. Well, listeners can go to the rubyball.org to learn more about the foundation, the silent podcast, and how you might be able to help. Uh, Ijima, thank you so much for coming on. It's great to get to meet you. Congratulations on all you're doing thank and you. keep up the extraordinary work. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you, Ijama, for your story and appearance. Check out the Ruby Ball Foundation to learn more. Thanks as well to Jessica Lauren Richmond from Flow for coming on. The link tree link in the notes will take you to Flow, the next episode of which comes out. When is the next episode of Flow coming out, Amy? It comes out May 13th. Okay, May 13th. So you have some time if you haven't uh, listened to all that are out yet. And the next one will be out May 13th. And speaking of next episode, Amy, what can listeners look forward to on the next Bloodstream episode? We've got a great episode coming up next week. Frequent Bloodstream contributor Alexa Abreu is going to be with us with her sister, Julie Marr, which will be a hoot and a holler. We're going to talk Teen Impact Awards and the advocacy work in our community. I don't think we've had siblings on before at the same time, so that'll be fun. That's a new thing for us to do. Uh, thank you, Amy. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Bloodstream team, for all you do to make this show possible. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and share the Bloodstream podcast on social media. It is the best way we can reach new people. Thanks, as always, to Takeda for being the presenting sponsor of the Bloodstream podcast, bleedingdisorders.com, to learn more. Thanks as well to Sanofi Genzyme for their partnership on Let's Talk. Visit Let's Talk MH for resources and to learn more. And with that, that is all for this episode. Have a bleeding disorders or health topic you'd like to hear us discuss? Is there an expert or guest that you are dying to hear from? Want to inquire about casting opportunities for Bloodstream's narrative and docu-styled podcast series? Email us, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com or connect with Bloodstream Media on social media. You'll find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can follow Amy Board or myself on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. One day, Amy will know how valuable it is and won't tease me so much about it because it's really, really helpful. I'm telling you, get on board. Check out the program notes for this episode in your podcast player or on bloodstreammedia.com where you'll find links and information related to the stories and segments featured on this episode. I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am that other host, Amy Board. And until next time, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.